It's great to be back with you all. As you know, many of us traveled to Houston, as you heard about just a moment ago, on a mission trip. We went to help with uh, Hurricane Harvey relief. Specifically, we went to help rebuild some homes, uh, hanging some drywall, putting on insulation, specifically for some homes that didn't have flood insurance. They were under four feet of water, and uh, we were able to be God's hands and feet. Well, we drove down to Houston, kind of a long drive, a lot of car time, and so we spent much of that time getting to know one another. The men in my car, we talked about who are the three most significant people who have helped make a difference in your life? Who are the, people who, the three people who have influenced your life the most? Was we shared about that, each one of us talked about our parents in some way. Some of us talked about our grandparents. Some of us talked about friends or siblings. Uh, I talked about my spouse, uh, points for Sarah. Uh, you know, we all talked about different people. And as we finished sharing about the people who had influenced our life, then the conversation turned as Dick Doyle talked to us about, well, who are we investing in? How are we helping raise up the next generation for the kingdom of Christ? Are you aware that millennials, those who are born between 1980 and 2000, are you aware that 59% of millennials who grew up in the church have now left the church? Raise your hand if you're born 1980 to 2000. Anybody here? Hallelujah. I'm so glad you're here. You, You are the exception to the rule. Thanks be to God that you're here. So grateful that you're here, but what can we do to make sure that we, we reach the next generation for the kingdom of Christ? Because many millennials have left the church. What can we do to, to reach them with the love of Christ so they might continue to make disciples? Well, to find out, I, I believe the answer is found in our text this morning, our New Testament text. It's 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. If you could turn in your Red Pew Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4 beginning with verse 12. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired Paul to to put pen to paper, to write a, a letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, so that we might read it today and we might learn from it. We might see how we can apply it. Oh God, we pray that by your spirit, you might speak to us this morning. That as we read your word, you would open our eyes and open our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Timothy chapter four, beginning with verse 12. Listen to the word of the Lord. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
if we want to reach millennials, the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, in fact, it's the largest living generation today. There's 75.4 million millennials. They have surpassed the baby boomers in population. If we want to reach millennials with the, king, the good news of God's kingdom that we find in Jesus Christ, if we want to make disciples of the next generation for the kingdom of Christ, I believe we need to do what Paul did with Timothy. We need to train, encourage, and empower. Now, I'm a visual learner. Anybody else visual learners here? I like to have little pictures that kind of help me re- learn mnemonic devices. So, so here's a picture, I believe, right there. What is that? Golf tee, right? How do you spell tee? T-E-E. Train, encourage, and empower. The next time you tee one up to play some golf, think of, oh yeah, I'm supposed to train, encourage, and empower the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. In fact, can you say that with me? Train, encourage, and empower. You see, the one thing that millennials long for is someone to walk alongside them, to encourage them in their walk with God. My generation, which is the generation that's in between the boomers and the millennials, we're called Generation X, not a very exciting name, but anyway, my generation, what we long for more than anything was community. Because my generation, more than any other generation, experienced divorce than any other generation before it. We experienced more divorces in my generation than any other generation before it. And so we longed for community. We just wanted friends. We wanted lots of friends. In fact, the most popular sitcom for my generation is a show called Friends. I think we've got the slide there. Larry? Yeah, there it is. Friends. And of course, before Friends, and the Friends is, about, is a show about six people hanging out at a coffee shop all the time. Well, before Friends in the 80s, there was a show called Cheers, eight people hanging out in a bar all the time. In fact, the theme song to Cheers, I believe, speaks to the cry of my generation. If you know the song, please join me as I sing it. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. That was the cry of my, my generation. Man, give me some community. Give me some friends where people know my name. Well, millennials are more connected than any other generation because they all have these cell phones. And with texting and Twitter and Facebook, they're able to stay connected. They've got this uh, network of friends that they keep in touch with all the time through social media. So they're not wanting community. Most of them already have plenty of friends. But what they're looking for are deep one-on-one relationships. They're looking for someone who's a little bit older to, to walk alongside them, to help encourage them, to, to train them, to empower them. You know, with the dawning of the internet and smartphones, millennials really don't need any more information. They've got plenty of information. Let's be real honest. Most millennials today more know, know more than we did when we were their age. Because when I was in high school or I was in college and I wanted to do a term paper, I had to go to this really large building. It's called a library. Do you remember these things? Yeah? You go to a library and then I had to like check out these paper-bound uh, items called books, you know, and we'd have to take these books and I would carry a lug of books. In fact, I've got a picture of a kid pairing a bunch of books. That was me leaving the library. And I learned how to look in the back, the index, to find the topic that I was looking for, and I'd have to read or go to the table of contents, and I would read a chapter or two to try to find the information that I needed for my term paper. Well, young people today, they have a question. They just ask Siri. Siri, what is this? And then it'll tell them what Siri has to say or what the internet has to say. But Siri doesn't answer the deepest questions of life. If you ask Siri what is true, and I, I did this recently, she said, you can't argue with the truth. Or she told me, you're the boss, or whatever you say, Howard. (laughs) Siri gets it wrong when it comes to the deeper questions of life. 
Millennials need someone who can help point them to the truth. For all of us know, according to this, the truth is not an idea, it's not an ideology, it's not a political party. It's a person. His name is Jesus. For he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Nationwide surveys tell us that millennials want a safe place where they can ask their questions, their hard questions, and they know they won't be judged. Millennials, like all of us, need a godly, authentic, humble mentor who's willing to invest in them by training, encouraging, and empowering them to help do the work of God's kingdom. We all need someone who's who's just a little bit older than us to help us know that we are valued by God and, and that we can be used by God. We need someone who will encourage us as Paul encouraged Timothy in our text this morning. Listen again to verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Most scholars believe that Timothy was in his late 20s, early 30s, the age of many millennials today, when he was sent by Paul to lead the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was not an easy church to lead. Ephesus was a port city where there was the temple to the goddess Diana, and pagans from all over the world would come to worship the goddess of Diana. And we read in Acts that when Paul started the church in Ephesus, they began to preach about the one true God who's made himself known through his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of the vendors and the idol makers realized that Paul's preaching is bad for business. So they, they got a rally and a riot started and we're gonna cast Paul and his whole church out and, and have them destroyed. Fortunately, the riot was broken up and the church in Ephesus survived. However, before Paul left Ephesus, For the last time in Acts, he prophesied to the elders. In Acts chapter 20, we read 29 to 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, among the church in Ephesus, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul has now sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus. And as you read the very first chapter of his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, we can see that Paul's prophecy has come true. For there are people in the church in Ephesus who are teaching bad doctrine, leading the church astray. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 3 to 7, Paul writes, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions." So to put this letter in context, a young Timothy in his late 20s and early 30s has been sent to the church in Ephesus to basically correct elders in the church in Ephesus who are teaching poor doctrine. How do you think that went over? Probably like a lead balloon. Young Timothy comes in and he starts telling these older members of the congregation in Ephesus, these elders, that their teaching is bad that they should probably be quiet for a while because, gosh, they're getting off in some really bad places and we need to keep to the gospel of grace. I don't think that went well because none of us, if we're honest, really like to be corrected by someone younger than us. Our pride doesn't like that. We don't like being corrected by anyone anyway, but particularly someone younger than us. 
We feel like, gosh, I'm, I'm older and wiser. I must know more. How are you, who are you to tell me? You're a little, getting a little big for your britches there, Timothy. <laughs> but Paul encourages Timothy and says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Notice that Paul is telling Timothy, he can't just lead with words. Words aren't going to be enough. He's got to be an example of what it means to follow Jesus. He's got to be sacrificial in his life and put the needs of others before his own. He needs to live the kind of conduct that is worth imitating. This was Paul's way of discipleship, having a faith that's worth imitating. We, we read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, when Paul tells the church in Corinth, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Timothy was drawn to Paul as a father in the faith because Timothy knew that Paul had a faith that was worth imitating. You see, Timothy was from Lystra, and since Timothy was from Lystra, he, he, he either saw or must have heard the stories of how, how Paul, when he was in Lystra, was, was uh, captured by a group of Jews from Iconium and from Antioch of Pisidia. We read about it just not long ago in the book of Acts, and how the Jews get upset with Paul's teaching, and, and they drag him outside the city, and they stone Paul, leaving him for dead. And yet Paul miraculously gets up, goes back into Lystra, and keeps on preaching. Yes, Timothy knew that Paul had a faith that was real, that was worth imitating. Do we, as older generations, do we have a faith that's, that's real, that's worth imitating? Can people tell that, that we've stuck to our guns? As, as life has gotten hard and it does get hard, we've been able to persevere to make it through by leaning into our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had a t- faith that was worth imitating and Paul was always humble, a humble man of God. Despite all the churches that Paul had started, despite all the miracles that Paul had done, despite the fact that Paul is, is called by God to be an apostle, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that Paul maintains a very humble attitude. 1 Timothy, verse 15, it says, Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy and desiring, desire, desire, deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost Paul says, I'm the foremost sinner. Even though he's an apostle, even though he's planted churches, even though he's miraculously healed people, he still identifies himself humbly as the foremost sinner. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul maintained a humble attitude because he knew that he was saved by grace. Do we humbly recognize that we're all sinners in need of of God's grace? You know, just because we're older than someone doesn't necessarily mean that we're better than them or that even necessarily that we're we're wiser. I mean, the fact is that, that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. We all need to walk humbly before God. We need to treat one another as as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why Paul writes to Timothy the words of encouragement in chapter 5, verse uh, 1 and 2 that I read. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. We're all a part of the family of faith and and we're all sinners saved by grace and so we need to treat one another with mutual love and, and respect to humbly recognize that Well, the ground is truly level at the cross, that none of us are are better than anyone else. You know, there are two kinds of advice that people give in the world today. There's solicited advice and unsolicited advice. 
Now, we like solicited advice because we asked for it, right? When I have a big decision to make in my life, I will often talk to several people and get their perspective, and, and I'm asking for their advice. I want to hear what they have to say, what they think I ought to do. But psychologists tell us that, well, 100% of the time, we are naturally resistant to unsolicited advice. In fact, they would tell us that people who give unsolicited advice are usually wasting their breath because naturally people are defensive to that. They don't want to be told what to do unless they're asked. Now, as a father, I I reserve the right to give my children unsolicited advice uh, because I'm supposed to train them up in the way they should go so when they're older, they'll not soon part from it. So I need to give them unsolicited advice. But, But I don't give millennials unsolicited advice. I don't tell them just because I'm a Gen Xer what to do. I figure if they want to know what I think they should do, they'll ask me. It's not my job to tell them. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They've got even more information than I do probably on some things. I don't need to tell them what to do unless they ask me. Spiritual mentoring isn't about just giving advice. Spiritual mentoring is really about walking alongside someone, hearing their story, listening to what God is doing in their life, and then ultimately pointing them to the scriptures to help them see what God is doing. Yes, we need to train the next generation for the kingdom of Christ by pointing them to the word of God. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. We know from 2 Timothy and the book of Acts that Timothy was raised by a Jewish mother and a Jewish grandmother who had trained him in the Old Testament scriptures. Timothy was a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul, so for several years they were together helping plant various churches, and Paul trained Timothy on how to read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. What we need to do for millennials is help train them how to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. And we do that by by first pointing them to the Gospels. If you've never read the Bible before, I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest Gospel. It's only 16 chapters. If you start in Matthew, which is what a lot of people will do, they get kind of lost in the genealogy of all the names that are in the first chapter. That can get confusing. So start with Mark. Read Mark. Then read Matthew. Then Luke. Then read John. As you read through the Gospels, then you have a lens through which to read the rest of the Bible, the lens of Jesus Christ. It's the best thing we can do for the next generation is to teach them how to read this every day through the lens of Jesus Christ, to train them in how to read God's Word and to encourage them to use their gifts in ministry. Notice what Paul says in verses 14 and 16 of our text this morning. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy clearly had a gift for teaching. Paul saw this, and so he encouraged Timothy to continue to use your gift in teaching. For to the teaching of God's word, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, that God loves us so much that he would send his one and only son here to this earth to live in perfect obedience to our heavenly father, to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross, then on the third day to conquer sin and death on our behalf with his resurrection so that we might have the assurance of eternal life if we simply believe in him. It was through the consistent teaching of God's word and the gospel of grace that Timothy was able to help save souls. It's the hearing of the gospel and believing that souls are ultimately saved. A few weeks ago, I shared the, uh, a quote from leadership coach Zig Ziglar. He's a good Baptist. He says this, a lot of people have gone further than they thought they could because someone else thought they could. 
A lot of people have gone further than they thought they could because someone else thought they could. I've got to be honest with you, I'm here today because in 1992, I drew the short straw in my youth group and I had to give the sermon on Senior Sunday. I didn't want to do that. But my father's a drama director and my youth uh, pastor said, oh, you're good at talking in front of people, you can do it. And I was like, no, but prom Saturday night. I don't want to be up in the pulpit on Sunday. But I went and I did and I preached God's word and I did the best I could. And, and a lot of people from the church came up to me and said, Howard, you've got a real gift for preaching. Have you ever thought about going into the ministry? I said, ah, I think I'm going to finance the gospel rather than preach it. So I majored in business finance, economics. Uh, but when I went to Dallas to work for Price Waterhouse, I took a spiritual gift survey as a part of joining Highland Park Presbyterian Church. And when I joined that church, preaching and teaching came up as, as leading gifts in my skill set. And the college minister at Highland Park Presbyterian Church asked me if I would teach a Bible study to a bunch of SMU students. Then the singles pastor at the church asked me to speak at a retreat. And the youth director asked me to use my gift of, of teaching at one of his retreats. And, and I was being encouraged to use my gifts in ministry. Through faith in Jesus Christ, each one of us has been given different spiritual gifts. I don't know what your gifts are, but God has called you and, and gifted you so that you might use them for the sake of his kingdom. You don't have to go into full-time occupational ministry to, to use your gifts for the kingdom of Christ. You can simply volunteer with one of the ministries that are in our church, uh, our youth ministry or our children's ministry or, or any of the ministries that we've got, big events. So there's a lot of great opportunities to serve, a lot of great ways to use your gifts in ministry. Or you can work with one of our ministry partners here locally, like Heal the City on Monday night, so you can volunteer with them as a, just as a helper or as a doctor or as a nurse, whatever you can do. Or you can go on a mission trip like we did recently to Houston and, and you can help rebuild some homes. And, and I quickly learned at that trip that I do not have the gift of craftsmanship um, we were hanging some doors and we were putting this frame on this one door and I had to use finishing nails which are really kind of small nails and I was hammering it in and I'd get it halfway and it would bend every time and uh, Scott Gilmore was picking up our mess afterwards and he noticed that there was this one door that had like six bent finished nails right outside <laughs> those are my nails so I have different gifts I have the gift of uh, I was able to speak Spanish so that was more helpful to the team than my hammering of nails but whatever your gifts are God has equipped you to use them for his kingdom work who are you encouraging to help use their gifts in ministry? Because Paul trained Timothy with the word of God. Paul encouraged Timothy to use his God-given gifts for ministry. And finally, Paul empowered Timothy to lead. The best way to empower someone to lead is to give them responsibility, to trust them to do what they're called to do. We have to give young people roles of responsibility so they can use their gifts in ministry and help lead. Paul knew that. That's why he sent Timothy by himself to go lead that church in Ephesus. He knew that the best way to become a good leader is to start leading. And so he empowered Timothy to use his gifts. When the church in Ephesus looked at Timothy, and I saw this 20 to 30-year-old young man come in and start telling these older members of the church that, well, that they're not teaching the right things, I'm pretty sure that his leadership was questioned and rejected. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, when Paul looked at Timothy, he saw a leader, one who could help turn the church in Ephesus around. And ultimately, through that daily struggle, Timothy was able to help turn that church around. We've got to equip, we have to empower millennials to help join us in the work of God's kingdom. In the story that we read earlier in the Old Testament, when Samuel was called to anoint the next king of Israel from one of the sons of Jesse, he looks at the older sons first. 
No one even thought to look at David, right? He's the youngest son. He's a teenage boy. Most scholars tell us out herding the sheep. When everyone else saw a shepherd boy, God looked at David's heart and he saw a king. When Jesus launches his ministry in the synagogue, his home synagogue of Nazareth in Luke chapter four, he's about 30 years old. When people looked at Jesus and heard his first sermon, they thought, isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter's son? When everyone else saw the son of a carpenter, God saw his one and only son who came to this earth to save us with his death and resurrection. Yes, if God was able to use Timothy to lead the church in Ephesus, if God was able to call a young teenage boy to be the next king of Israel, if God was able to use his one and only son, Jesus, at the age of 30, and by the age of 33, help lead a whole movement and and leave a legacy of people who continue that movement that we're a part of today and help save the world with his death and resurrection, then surely God can use the millennials that are in our church today to help do the work of God's kingdom. If we want to reach millennials with the gospel of Jesus, we need to do what Paul did for Timothy. We need to, in a one-on-one relationship, listen to them, walk alongside them, mentor them, train them with what the word of God has to say. Train them in how to read God's word. We need to encourage them to use their gifts and ministry. And we need to empower them to take on roles of leadership as we seek to do the work of God's kingdom together. If you're older like me, and you're interested in getting to know how, how you could help a millennial or someone younger, talk to Kim Talley. He's our intergenerational pastor. He can help you find a relationship. Or, or maybe there's a millennial in your life who, who's looking for a mentor. Pray that God might open that door. Or if you're a young person who's looking for a mentor, pray that God might lead you to someone who has a faith that's worth imitating, whose faith is real and authentic, that you want to learn from. Or you can go to Kim and say, Kim, I'd like to, I'd like to find a mentor, as I did many years ago. You see, when I joined Highland Park Presbyterian Church, I was 22, and by the age of 23, I was realizing that God had given me different gifts, and maybe I was being called into the ministry. At the same time, I started dating this really cute girl named Sarah. Uh, thank God that worked out. And uh, I, I'm, I'm having all these questions, and in your 20s and 30s, you're making decisions that are going to impact the rest of your life. And so I knew I needed a mentor. So I went to my singles pastor, Max Reddick, and I said, Max, is there, is there, is there a, an elder, a Christian businessman in our church that might be able to mentor me that I could meet with weekly? And he took me to Cullum Thompson. Cullum Thompson was an insurance salesman. And Cullum Thompson and I met for two years every Wednesday morning for breakfast. It was an amazing relationship. And as I would come to Cullum with questions, he would take me to the word of God to train me in what it has to say. He would encourage me to use my gifts in ministry. And he would empower me to do the work of God's kingdom. Well, several years ago, I was blessed to be a part of Cullum Thompson's funeral. And the sanctuary was packed. It was filled with, with men and women that Cullum Thompson had helped disciple. And many of us gave testimony about how Cullum had helped disciples. Yes, Cullum Thompson was an insurance salesman, but more than anything, he wanted to make sure you had the assurance of eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we all talked about how Cullum had made a difference in our lives. Who's the Cullum in your life? And, and who are you mentoring? Who's the Paul in your life? And who is your Timothy? Who are you pouring into, into that next generation for the kingdom of Christ? May God lead each one of us to that Timothy, so we might build up the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you, Lord, for men like Cullum Thompson, and I thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul and Timothy and the model relationship they give to us today that we can see that by mentoring one-on-one, spending time with each other, training in the word of God, encouraging us to use our gifts in ministry and equipping us to lead, God, you are able to raise up the next generation for the kingdom of Christ. 
Lord, I thank you for the millennials that are a part of our church today. It saddens me that so many of them have left the church. Lord, help us to equip the millennials who are here to help reach their generation for the kingdom of Christ, to help make disciples of Jesus. Help us to partner together so that disciples might be made and you might be glorified. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said,